calling all denizens of the dark, mavens of mayhem, and champions of chaos. Lock your doors and listen close. It's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. I am Terrence McCauley, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is Janice Hallett, a former magazine editor, an award-winning journalist, and a fellow government communications writer. She wrote articles and speeches for the cabinet office, the home office, and the Department of International Development. Her enthusiasm for travel has taken her around the world several times, from Madagascar to the Galapagos, Guatemala to Zimbabwe, Japan, Russia, and South Korea. A playwright and screenwriter, she penned the feminist Shakespearean stage play, Netherbard, and co-wrote the feature film, Retreat. She lives in London and is the author of The Appeal and The Typhoid Code. The Appeal was published earlier this month in November from Atria Books. Welcome, Janice. Thank you for taking the time to be here today. Thank you, Terence. It's, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, of course. I was very interested in your book, The Appeal. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it and uh, what inspired you to write it? Well, The Appeal is told via um, emails, texts, and other forms of communication. So it's, it's not a traditional narrative at all, but it still tells a story. And that's the story of a couple who've been volunteering overseas for many years. And for some reason, they're forced to come back to the UK and they have to resettle into a very small community. And in this small community, they join the local drama group in order to make friends and to you know, make a go of their new life. Mm -hmm. But very soon uh, upon joining this drama group, uh, they, they seem to think uh, there's a few things awry about what's going on here. And when the leaders of the group set up an appeal fund for their granddaughter, their suspicions are raised. And because their experiences overseas give them quite a different perspective to everybody else in this very small insular world, um, they're quite on their own with their suspicions about this mm. fundraising campaign. Um, probably all I can say without giving anything away. But um, what we're getting um, in the novel is emails that fly behind the scenes between minor characters. So it's uh, when you start reading, it'll be a little bit different. But go with the flow and uh, the story will emerge. Right. It sounds like the format is simpler to is similar to uh, Dangerous Liaisons, if you will, and other books like that. Epistolary novels are very, very popular in days gone by, and they've come back and forth in and out of fashion ever since. And uh, I'm doing my bit to bring it back. That's good. That's good. And you seem to be doing very well, according to Amazon. It's the number one epistolary kind of uh, novel that's on the charts. So Excellent. congratulations for that. Thank you very much. I know that you've written other uh, types of work, but is this your first novel? Yes, it was. Apart from the obligatory um, angst-ridden teenage novel that I wrote when I was about 19, apart from that one, which I don't count. Yes, this is my first. But when I wrote it, I, I set off 
um, writing it in 2018. I was a very experienced writer. I've been writing mm -hmm. screenplays for many, many years. So although not the novel format was new to me, storytelling wasn't. And so I did hit the ground running. Yeah, it is all about storytelling, isn't it? Um, how did you find this experience as opposed to being a screenwriter or a playwriter? Well, I had a whole lot of fun writing The Appeal because I wrote it without a commission, without a deadline. I just enjoyed myself and my screenwriting career had kind of um, hit the buffers, shall we say, so I didn't have sure. anything else to do. So I, I just had fun and I played around with these characters and I waited to see where they would take me. So this particular experience of novel writing was wonderful. And hopefully that um, verve and that energy comes across in the, in the narrative, that, that enjoyment of the characters and getting to know these quirky individuals who populate this small town. It, I, I loved it, I hope the readers do too. I'm sure they will, and it's, it looks like they have found it already, and I'm sure more people will find it. Um, with your, how much of your extensive travel experience uh, played a role in the plot for the, uh, this book? Well, you do meet some unusual people traveling, but I would say when I was working um, for the government, uh, the Department for International Development, I came across people who had given their lives over to volunteering overseas. And they spent years, if, if not their whole working life, you know, in war zones, in incredibly dangerous places, in, with no luxury in their lives at all, but completely dedicated to caring for others, to making the world a better place for other people, or simply just crisis management overseas. And I right. was just amazed that people could be so selfless and so altruistic. So those people fascinated me. And I did some, some research into, into those people who, who make those decisions. Um, and hence these two characters who, who are life, lifelong volunteers overseas. And that was, right. I suppose, partly my travel came, came into play there, partly my, my work for you know, the, the government here. Exactly right. Yeah, it definitely seems to show in your work. A lot of people have different views of what government is. They think it's just people who spend their careers in an office and uh, working towards their pension. But you've obviously had a different experience with that. And it's good that you were able to bring some of that positive aspect of it and varied aspect to it to your work. Um, so you work for international development and uh, was that your only experience in government or did you have, did you work in other areas? No, I worked in, in all sorts of areas. Well, I, I worked freelance for a government communications agency, so I could be doing anything from magazines that went to volunteer police constables to magazines that went to people who worked in the job centre and dealing with employment and benefits in, in that so it, I didn't know what I was doing from one day to the next well, actually right. I didn't know what I was doing from one minute to the next uh, often it was uh, quite a, a baptism of fire when I started working there but it's it's interesting what you say about what people think about government and what the reality is because what my short relatively short experience uh, doing that has given me some quite unfashionable views about how hard those people work and how how much they give of themselves to that job where they get very little thanks and often people are quite prejudiced against them for the fact that they work in government uh, and it's very very difficult to make the decisions that they have to make on a daily basis um, 
yeah, I couldn't do it myself. And right. I have every respect for people who do work in government. It's a hard job. It, it can be. Yeah, it definitely can be. And like you said, often an unrewarding one. Um, how have the people that you've met in your career and in your travels affected the uh, protagonists of this latest book of yours? Well, the protagonists, um, well, actually, it's arguable who the protagonists are, because there's the couple, Sam and Kel, who've come back from overseas. But the main character is Izzy. Now, she's a, a young nurse who um, is very keen to get into uh, the fairway players, uh, just like Sam and Kel. She's only just uh, a few, arrived a few months before them, uh, but she considers herself, you know, the, the, the elder statesman, and she, she tries to show them around the group. And it's her energy I think that drives the narrative and she's so keen to be liked and loved and for other people to see her as important that mm -hmm. that comes across um, in so many different ways in the book and people respond very differently to that character she's a, a very divisive character there are people who empathize with her and who understand where she's coming from completely but there are other people who's whose own experiences don't gel with hers and they find her very annoying indeed. And I can see both sides. So uh, I think Izzy, right. is, um, Izzy is someone I've known and I think she's someone I've been and she's mm. someone I fear I might be as well. So I think, I think there's an Izzy in all of us. I mean, some people may disagree, um, mm -hmm. but yes, Izzy is, um, is the main character, I think, even though Sam and Kel perhaps drive the drive the story. Right, well, that's the beauty of having the kind of format that you wrote the novel in. You can approach the story and the plot from a lot of different aspects and get the input of a lot of different characters in it. So that was, uh, that was an interesting um, approach that you took. I also see that you uh, wrote of the Shakespearean stage play, uh, Netherbard. Uh, now, how much uh, influence do you think Shakespeare might have had and your knowledge of Shakespeare might have had in this uh, first book that you've written? Well, I did an English degree, uh, so Shakespeare was a massive part of that. And plus, I've um, done amateur drama my whole life, so we've done okay. your Shakespeare here and there. Um, in this novel, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think there's an element in it of the soliloquy or the... Um, the addressing the breaking the fourth wall that when mm -hmm. people characters talk to the audience because really if you look at the appeal all these people writing into the ether they're typing their emails and sending them off and that's what we're reading they they don't realize that we're we're reading it because it's um you know it's secret they didn't realize at the time that we'd be that they're well, what they were writing was going to be part of an appeal um right that, that lawyers would be reading so that's why you know these emails have all been printed out so what we're getting is um, a soliloquy where they, the person speaking doesn't realize that we're listening and that's quite a it's quite a delicious feeling while you're reading that you're you're looking in on this world and the people talking don't know you're there it's quite um, I quite like that that delicious feeling that um, no one can see me but I can watch this, um, you know, this play unfold in front of me. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and it also, they, they think it's only going to be a dialogue between themselves and whoever's on the list, but they aren't anticipating that we're going to 
also be <laughs> reading it. That's that's an interesting tactic to take. That's right. Yes, because I, I should have said um, be before probably that um, all of this is being read by two lawyers and their mentor, two student lawyers, and their uh, um, Casey who now who's um, who's mentoring them, and they have to work out a few things about the text that he's set them to to discover through reading so we're kind of with them they they hold our hands all the way through it and uh, so so we don't have to work too hard right so they're they're kind of like to continue a Shakespearean thing they're kind of like the chorus or the narrator are, if are. you will of, of it they're the Greek chorus you're right absolutely exactly exactly it was um now from all of your um your travels did uh do the people who are the uh, the couple that are in the center of the action in the book are, are they as well traveled as you are have you included some of your experiences in their experiences they are kind of their type of travel has been to problem areas so they will have been to war-torn zones of africa to places like haiti where they've helped with um you know disaster um you know salvaging areas of after a disaster so that they're, mm. they're experience of travel would be quite different mine is very leisurely in comparison right. um i mean they do mention madagascar i've been to madagascar and found um the water situation there um so um i don't know what, what it would be very life affirming on one hand and very disturbing on the other because clean water in madagascar and, and other parts of the world is not something you can take for granted just literally having a clean cup of water to drink and um you know people will drink puddle water and you know terrible um you know, dis disastrous um diseases from the polluted water that they have to drink and that's from coming from the western you know world where we live and we take all of this for granted sure um, it's you know it's kind of disturbing but through sam and kel i think i almost exercise my need to um help by, by having these characters who devoted their lives to uh, to helping people. It's, right. Uh, something I, I feel I ought to be doing it myself, but uh, I haven't yet. We do what we can. We do what we can. And you're certainly bringing light to it by writing about them uh, in, in such an effective way. Um, now, with the, um, did you have as much fun writing the supporting cast to this uh, novel as you did with the main? people that you were talking about, like the main protagonists? I know there were, there's arguably several, but I was wondering how did the supporting cast come to you as you were crafting this? I had a whole lot, lot of fun with them. I mean, there's one particular character who she doesn't actually appear because she's on holiday for the, for the whole of the, the span of this act, of the action, she's away. But whenever anyone sends um, a group email, her out of office reply pings back or she'll, she'll send a very hurried reply from somewhere around the world. And because she's on a, a glitchy phone, it comes through with all sorts of bugs and adverts and you know, obscene sayings uh, that come through <laughs> when she sends an email back. Uh, she has no idea. And she ends up stranded somewhere in Indonesia without her passport and um, wants help while everybody else, you know, the world is falling apart for all the other characters around her, uh, but she wants everybody's help. So Jackie Marsh, she's my favorite of the supporting roles in um, in the appeal so uh, if you get hold of the appeal look out for Jackie because she's hilarious okay well that's good yeah you need to have a, a certain degree of balance in, uh, in in a drama like this one 
Um, would did you do you think you're going to stick with this kind of format in future books, or are you going to return to a more traditional uh, blander, if you will, uh, format of a, a straightforward novel? Well, I'm not done with it yet because my mm -hmm. second and third books have both got a very unusual narrative structure. But I wouldn't rule out um, some point in the future writing a more traditional narrative. Uh, I mean, I've got quite a few ideas on the boil and some of them, not, not all of them, automatically suggest themselves in the epistolary format. So I think at some point I'm going to have to bite the bullet and um, give it a go, give a traditional narrative a shot. Right. Well, you don't have to do anything because, you know, you're, you're the writer, you're the artist, and it's all about, you know, what, what rewards you and what fulfills you and your, your craft, and you seem to be doing it very well. Do you think the appeal is uh, the first of a series of novels? Do you envision taking some of these characters and, and moving them off onto their own? What, uh, what is your overall view of the, uh, the, the story that you've created here? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I haven't, um, I certainly didn't write it thinking it could be a series. Mm -hmm. um, and without giving too much away, you know, it couldn't um, continue really as it is. Um, right. But hey, you know, again, I wouldn't rule anything out. I mean, if something, if an idea came to me and mm -hmm. it featured a character or two from the appeal, why not? I wouldn't exactly. rule anything out ever. I think the creative process is like a, a horse that you have to sit on and let it take you somewhere. Exactly right. Yeah, because if you steer it too much, you wind up spoiling the magic and, and you certainly don't want to do that. Absolutely. Now, have you gotten a lot of, it sounds like you've gotten a lot of feedback from your audience. Um, how, uh, how has that experience been? Because I would imagine the feedback on a novel is quite different from being a playwright or a screenwriter. Yeah, it's, it's quite different. I mean, being a playwright, your feedback is right there. You're in the room. And if people don't laugh at your joke, uh, you're there, you know, listening to the silence. Um, <laughs> but I think being a novelist now is, uh, it must be quite different to how it was 30, 40 years ago, because social media means that really within hours of an, a novel being out, people are putting their feedback on Twitter and on Instagram, and you're hearing from people, they're, they're messaging you. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, the feedback there is, it's, it's getting to be pretty instant as well and it's right. amazing to um to connect with readers because I, I do various events um around the country and indeed around the world and um mm. it's, it's amazing who connects with the appeal I mean I've had elderly people coming up and saying how much they've enjoyed it but also teenagers which is not something I anticipated I'm not a, a young young person's author I'm uh, um, right. I'm, not, I'm not a spring chicken uh, let's put it that way. So um, I didn't think that my writing would appeal to to younger people at all. So that's a, a surprise to me completely. And I think in years gone by, I perhaps wouldn't have known without um, social media to, to help me connect. So well, I absolutely love the experience of being a novelist and having this feedback. It's it's wonderful. It's almost it's what I do it for. It's what I why I write to entertain. Right, exactly right. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it is different than getting the immediate response in the room when you, you've crafted a, a script for a performance, but the, uh, I think you'll find that uh, people who read books are very engaged these days with the uh, writers who, uh, who, who write for them. 
And that's, uh, that's an interesting dynamic as well. It really is. Um, how do you... I love it. <laughs> it is. Yeah, no, it's great. It, it's, it, and even the negative feedback too, you can use that to improve uh, on your next book as well, or whatever you're going to be working on at the time. Um, I saw that the uh, Typhoid code is going, is, did I pronounce that right? Typhoid? Twyford. Twyford. Twyford, okay. Twyford code. That's going to be coming out next, um, next year. Could you tell us a little bit about that and uh, without giving too much away? I can. That too is a, a very untraditional narrative, but it's not letters as such. It's told as transcriptions of audio files and the transcriptions are automatic. So a computer has transcribed them and it's made certain decisions about what it's heard or what it thinks it's heard. So getting into the swing of it is again, something that will take you a couple of pages, but go with the flow, it will mm -hmm. come. And um, that should be quite entertaining to see this um, software pick up the idiosyncrasies of the talker because he's a, a native Londoner and he has a very strong accent. So some things will come across in the, um, in the transcriptions and he's well the reason he's done this uh, I should, should perhaps say is, is that Steve Steve my main character has um, recently been released from prison and uh, he's only just learned to read this last stretch inside he learned to read but he still can't write so this is why he's recording his diary and he's um, okay. at the suggestion of his probation officer he's looking into a traumatic event that he experienced in his teens he remembers being in the remedial English class with other youngsters who, who couldn't read or write. And he remembers going on a day trip with their teacher, but he remembers also that their teacher disappeared on that trip. And he can't remember anything more. So he, he now feels he, he needs to go back, speak to his old classmates and find out exactly what happened to Miss Isles, his teacher. And what he discovers is that his teacher had become obsessed just before she disappeared, obsessed with a long forgotten children's author called Edith Twyford. And uh, Miss Isles thought that Edith had put codes in her children's books that referred to something important, but she hadn't found out what before oh. she disappeared. And Steve sets out to find out. That's interesting. That, that That's a, a great plot device too, to have, um, the electronic transcription of what the narrator is saying, because it also adds a double doubtful uh, narrator, if you will, unreliable narrator, because not only is the, the person speaking that might not be reliable, but also you have the uh, software as well that might be skewing things a bit. Absolutely. Yeah, it's lots, there's lots of uh, layers to unpick with the Twyford code. That's good. And that seems like it's going to be a, a very layered uh, mystery. And that's uh, that's something that a lot of people enjoy reading. And um, wow, that sounds, that, that's impressive. That's, uh, that, wow, that's really something. I wasn't expecting that. That was <laughs> Excellent. great. That, <laughs> but it's out is, in wow. January. <laughs> it's out in January. Okay, out well, in January. that's good. Yep. Now, are you going to be uh, doing a tour for that one as well? Uh, are you going to be uh, in the UK and the US or how do you envision that playing out? Well, Twyford has already launched in the UK. So I've been touring around um, doing that here. And okay. 
this coming January, uh, my third novel launches here in the UK, The Mysterious Case of the Alperton Angels. Uh, I've got no plans at the moment to go to the US, but you know, these things can change. And um, I would love to at some point pop over there and meet my American readers who connect with me quite frequently on Instagram and it's lovely to meet them. So hey, you can you know pop over to at Janice.Hallett on Instagram and uh, meet me there or at Janice Hallett on Twitter and any American readers welcome to to connect with me. Um, but at the moment, no plans to tour. Okay, well, that's fine. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about that third book? Because even though uh, I'm based in New York, we've got listeners from all over the world. So I, I'd love to be able to have them uh, talk to hear more about that. Ah, well, hot off the press, the mysterious case of the Alperton Angels is about, um, well, again, we, it's not a traditional narrative. What we read in is the research material for a true crime book. Oh, and it's okay. a true crime book by uh, an author called Amanda Bailey. Um, and for some reason, she's printed out all her research material and stashed them away in a safe de deposit box, which we opened and we're reading. And um, we have to make a decision at the end of it. Um, do we go to the police and show the police this material or do we put it back in the safe deposit box and walk away? Wow. So. <laughs> Wow, that is fantastic. Wow, that's yeah, that's not that's that's kind of the, the framework, the actual story. Uh, Amanda and her nemesis, um, Oliver, they're two journalists and they're both researching separate true crime books on the same historical event. It's a cult called the Alperton Angels. And 18 years ago, um, a baby was rescued from their clutches, a baby they thought was the Antichrist and they were going to destroy it. But wow. um, it's, it's teenage parents came to their senses, rescued the baby and everyone was fine, apart from the Alberton Angels who um, imploded. So they weren't fine. They've gone. Uh, one of them is mm -hmm. in prison. Um, but the teenagers and their baby would, di would disappeared into the care system. So no one knew where they went. But now, 18 years later, the baby will be an adult and it can be interviewed as an adult. So Amanda and Oliver are racing each other to find this particular interviewee in order to write their true crime books from that that baby's point of view and um that's about all i can say about that for the moment <laughs> wow i mean it's amazing how you've taken uh, an alternate structure and been able to not just do it once but to do it three times in three unique ways that's that, that's fascinating and i know especially since this was your first uh, official crack at, at writing a novel, uh, that, that that's very challenging. So my hat is off to you. That's, and, and, and to not do it in a series, that's even more special because each story has to be independent of the other. That's right. I've, um, I've considered each novel quite experimental. So I've been finding my way through the story and through the structure, rather the way the reader does. Uh, so I think if I approach it that way, it keeps things fresh and well, it certainly seems to be working at the moment. Um, I've, I've had is. a lot of fun. So I just I hope people have as much fun reading as I have writing. Well, it certainly does. And it certainly sounds like you found an audience. And, and from what you've described of the forthcoming books, that audience is only going to get larger. It really is. That's that, that's amazing. It's It's always fascinating to talk to writers who take a different tact on the, the, the storytelling uh, art. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Oh, thank you for asking. 
Oh, no problem at all. Uh, earlier, you mentioned a little bit about where people can find you on the uh, internet. Why don't you uh, just repeat it again, your website, your different social media platforms, things like yes, that. I'm on Twitter probably more often than I should be. And I'm at <laughs> Janice Hallett. There's two L's and two T's in Hallett, J-A-N-I-C-E-H-A-L-L-E-T-T. Um, that's Twitter. On Instagram, I'm at Janice.Hallett. Um, you know, and I'm probably on there rather too often as well. I don't know when I get time to write. I seem to be on social media most of the time. But yeah, no, connect with me there. So, you know, follow me and you find out what I'm, I'm doing. I've just signed a lot of, um, we call them end papers that, that are bound into hardback books. I've right. signed them so that um, signed copies can be available online. And, um, I've, you know, the, my followers have been following me through. Um, the blisters that I was getting from all the signing I was doing. So uh, that's over now and um, on to the next thing. Well, it'll be on to the next thing, but I have a feeling that uh, you're going to be signing a lot more of them as the years unfold. As oh, I hope show. so. <laughs> you definitely will. You definitely will. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us and to introduce my audience to uh, someone who's writing some of the most uh, interesting fiction that's uh, available today. And uh, I look forward to watching how your career progresses from here. Oh, thank you, Terence. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, everybody, uh, I am Terence McCauley. You can find me on my website, www.terencemcauley.com. And thank you for listening to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. See you next time. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.